I believe that it was my generation that was referred to as the me generation. But I think that that applies to many different generations. Because a lot of people think it's all about themselves. It's all about me. It's what I want, what I need, what I think that I want. And the question that I have to begin with is, will the world be any different because you existed on this planet? Will you have made a difference in the world because you existed? It's not really just about you, as we'll see as we go through this lesson. It's about a lot of other things in our lives. And so maybe a better question would be is what meaning is there in your life or to your life? What's the reason for being here? I think that we all have pondered that at some point in time where we wondered, really, how did we get here? Why are we here? And the Bible, believe it or not, the Bible answers those questions. The Bible tells us why we're here. The Bible tells us where we came from. And so He's given us life. God's given us life. And we need to remember what it's here for, what we are here for. And so I want to start off this morning by thinking about what is life. James tells us in James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, "...go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get game. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow." For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. James describes life as a vapor. It's here shortly. It's a very short period of time. We see a vapor and we realize that it's there and it's there for the moment, but then it kind of just disappears. And that describes our life. You know, I'm sure that there's some here that are in their 80s, maybe 90s, I don't know, but... I'm sure that if you look back at your life, I know as I look back at my life, I think that yes, James described it perfectly, that it is as a vapor, that it is very brief. First Chronicles chapter 29. We find there that we're just traveling through this place called earth. And it's like a shadow. And without hope in this life. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 14 and 15, who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. We are strangers before thee and sojourners, as were all of our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding. Today when you go out, if the sun's shining, it's not raining, but if the sun's shining, look down at that shadow and see how long that shadow lasts. It'll be gone very quickly. And in this passage of Scripture that I just read, we are reminded that everything that we have belongs to God and that when we give something back to God, we're giving back to Him something that already belongs to Him. And that's so easy to forget. As we discussed this morning in Bible class, we need to understand that we're stewards while we're here on this earth. That God has put us here for a purpose. And He expects certain things out of us. 
And it's not anything that we are not able to accomplish. We know that in this world we own nothing. Oh, we think that we do. You know, we got our names on bank accounts and we got our names on deeds and we got our names on titles of cars and we got our names on a lot of things. And so therefore we say, it's, it, it's all mine. It's mine. But I want you to think about something for a moment. And I want us to realize that everything that we have, that, that, that property, that house, that car, the, everything that we have is borrowed. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Is that a true statement? You know, people sometimes look at the Bible and doubt the book, say, oh, it's old fashioned. It doesn't know what. Tell me, is that true or not? Is there anybody in here that brought something into this world with them? And I'm sure that we all know that when people pass from this life, they take nothing with them. That all that property that they've accumulated, all those possessions that they have, guess what? They stay here. Everything that we have is loaned to us by God. And there's no exception. No one is going to continue to live on this earth forever. We can go back in the Old Testament in Genesis and we can see a list of individuals and we can see how long they lived and the longest was Methuselah, Methuselah, 969 years. That is a very long life. How many of us would have loved to live that long of a life here on this earth? But you know what it says at the end of every one of those individuals? And He died. Nobody stayed here. In fact, this world's going to end someday. And everybody's going to be called before their Maker. This world that we live in is a tough place. No one gets out of it alive. We also realize from life that it goes by quickly. Job chapter 9, verse 25 through 26, it says, Now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away. They see no good. They are passed away as a swift ship, as an eagle that hasteneth to its prey. You ever seen an eagle swoop down? I was blessed to see an eagle swoop down and grab a fish out of a, out of a, a river one time. And it was quick. You ever try to grab a fish bite with your hand in the water? You sneak up on it, grab it with your hand? I've known of a few people that could do that, but most of us probably wouldn't be able to do that. But that eagle can swoop down and grab it. Swifter than ships. And I know that we have ships that are much faster, I'm sure, than Job had in his day. But does it describe our life? That is brief. I don't know about you, but this month, July, seems to have just zipped by. I don't know what you, about you, but it just seemed to be gone real quick. And that describes what the Bible's telling us. We know that it goes by quick, quickly and it only lasts a little while as Mo read for us. It's like a flower that's cut down. It fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. 
Job tells us that we have a few days here on this earth. While we're here, there's going to be troubles. There's going to be trials. There'll be difficulties. There'll be joyous times also. But life is short. And life is brief. And life is unpredictable. But I want us to realize that our life has been given to you. God gave us that life. God made you and I. Sometimes we forget that, but God made you and me. Think about Psalm chapter 100, verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We belong to Him. You talk about the me generation, we belong to God. We forgot that. I think that sometimes we, we get so busy with all the stuff that we forget we belong to God. And I'm talking about Christians. Sometimes we forget. It's God that made us. We didn't make Him. Although we may sometimes try to redefine Him, we try to make Him into what we want Him to be. Oh, He understands me. He's going to accept me. He's going to like what I do. Well, how do we know that if it's not according to His will? He's not going to like that. We're fashioned by God. In Psalms 119 and verse 73, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn Thy commandments. You see, it was God that made us. He formed us. He fashioned us. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2 that He took dust and He formed man out of that dust. And He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life and He became a living soul. We don't read that about any other creature in this creation, just man. Human beings. We belong to God. We need to understand that all souls, all souls in this life belong to God. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Why should that soul die? Why should it be destroyed? Why should it be cast into hell? Because it's forgotten who created it. It's forgotten who it belongs to. It's thought about, I want what I want, not what God wants. And it was fashioned for a good purpose. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, it says, for by, the, for by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Most people like to stop right there because they think that that's proven their point that all i got to do is be saved by grace. God's grace is the fact that He's told us what we need to do in order to be saved. And by faith, I accept that and I'm obedient to that. I, I follow through. We can see the grace of God with Noah when God told him what to do to build an ark, how to build that ark. By faith, Noah did what God told him to do. And as a result of that, from the grace of God, by giving him the plan and Noah's faith that moved him to obey the plan, they were saved, him and his family. We're saved when we accept the grace of God, His plan of salvation, and by faith we act upon that and we do it. But look at what it says in verse 10 of that same chapter. For we are His workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Should we be able to say, if God's told us to do something, should I be able to say, oh, I just that's, I can't do that. That's just not part of me. If God created me, if God fashioned me, does He know what I'm capable of doing? Does He know what you're capable of doing? You ever seen those car commercials, or you know, usually it's an SUV commercial where they're taking it off road and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and it says at the bottom of the screen, "Don't try this with your vehicle." Well, why not? Because my vehicle is probably going to break and I'll die as a result. Because it may be able to do that for the commercial, but they don't want you to do that every day. And if you do that every day, go to the dealer and say, "Hey, it's broke. Fix it. See what happens." The Lord knows what we are capable of. He knows what you're capable of. He knows what I'm capable of because He's made us. He's not asked us to do anything that is impossible for us to do. So why are we here? Is it to do as you please? That I can do whatever I want to do, and that's that, God's going to be okay with it. When we pursue things like that, that never lasts too long before, but beyond the the doing of it. In Ecclesiastes two verses ten through eleven, it says, "And whatsoever mine mine eyes desired, I kept not from them; I withheld not my heart from my." From any joy, for my heart rejoiced in my labors, and this was my portion of all my labor. What's Solomon saying here? Whatever he saw that he wanted, he he did it. If he desired it, he did it. If he wanted it, he got it. But listen to what he says in verse eleven. Then I looked at all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. Do you know what that vanity means? That word vanity when he says it was all vanity? That vanity means emptiness, unsatisfied. There was no satisfaction in all of those things that he tried. And how many of us are like that child, you know, i got to have that toy. i got to have it. i got to have it. i got to have it. And then they get it and they play with it once. Now, us adults, we wouldn't be like that now, would we? Because we don't have any toys. But Solomon realized that we are like that. That all those things do not bring satisfaction. And that vexation, that means troubled. He was troubled. He was irritated. He was, it was harassment in his soul because he saw all of those things that he had done. And there was no joy. What's that tell me? If the wise man says, there's more to life than the stuff. Why are you here? Sometimes it's 
Focus on what you want. This is what I've got to have. And when we do that, it tends to make us kind of destructive because we focus on only ourselves. We don't think of the people that are around us and how it may hurt them and what it may do to them. It's all about me. Why are we here? Is it for personal gain? To accumulate wealth, possessions, land, education? In Isaiah 56 and verse 11 it says, Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his gain from his quarter. Does that describe some people today? Greedy dogs? I hope it doesn't describe any of us. But maybe it does. Because maybe that's all we see in life is the accumulation of possessions. But those things that we have to have have a tendency to just disappear. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 5, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. How many times have you heard of someone that maybe has inherited something? Uh, maybe had a life insurance that uh, somebody had, uh, had given them. They made them the beneficiary and they received that. And before you know it, all that money was gone just like that. They didn't know what happened to it. I don't know where it all went. You hear about people winning the lottery. Millions of dollars. And sometimes you hear that, I don't know what happened, but it's all gone now. Those things that we think are so important have a tendency to disappear. Jesus says moth and rust can corrupt those things. When we focus on gain, it's another area where we have a tendency to harm others. In Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 28, they are waxen fat, they shine, yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause, the cause of the fatherless, nor yet they prosper, and the right of the needy do they not judge. In other words, it's all about me. I've got to get all of this stuff. I don't need to think about anyone else. And there are people in their lives where that's the, the, the concern, just getting more and more. And sometimes their family suffers. Sometimes the people around them suffer. Sometimes the people that they could help, they allow to continue to suffer. And it also harms not only the people around them, but it harms the person themselves. First Timothy chapter six and verse ten: For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How many times have we in our own lives allowed money, the love of money, to get in the way of our service to God? See, we can look at others and we can say, "Oh, that's bad. They did that. Oh, they shouldn't have done that." But when we look in the mirror at our own soul, are we just as guilty? 
Realize we need to realize it can even be deadly. Proverbs chapter one and verse nineteen. So are the ways of every one that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. You see, being greedy and wanting more and more and thinking that that's the purpose of life, that can be deadly. And I don't believe that this passage is saying that, well, because of that, I'm gonna, it's going to kill me. Even though we do hear people that, you know, when they're, there's a chance that they may lose their possession or the prestige that they have because of it, jump off of a bridge or kill themselves. But I don't think that that's what it's talking about. I believe that sometimes we're so greedy that we lose life itself. We die a little bit every day because those possessions have possessed us so much that we're afraid that they're going to disappear. We're afraid we're going to lose them. And they absorb all the life out of us because we're so concerned about those that we don't enjoy the life that God has blessed us with. Are you here to change the world? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. I've seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of the Spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. Then down to verse 13 of chapter 7, it says, Consider the work of God, for He can make that straight which He had, for who can make that straight which He had made crooked? Think about what man is capable of doing. You know, we may be able to stop water, a river, and make it go in a different direction, make it flow some other way. But sometimes we do that with dams and things of that nature. When those dams break, what happens? Where does that water go? Doesn't it usually go back to the natural course that it was going originally? Unless there's been some other thing that's preventing it? We can't make those things that God made crooked straight. In other words, there's things that we can't change. And we need to accept those things. And one of those things is that there's always going to be poor people. There's always going to be poverty in this world. Jesus said that in Mark chapter 14 and verse 7 when He said, For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But Me ye have not always. So we can help the poor, but you're never going to get rid of the poor. They're always there. They're always going to be there. There's always going to be hunger. There's always people that are going to be starving in this world. And we can help and we can do what we can, but they're still going to exist. So people want to change the world, and that's a great desire, but is that really what we're here for? Are you here to provide for your descendants? Think about that. There may not be any enjoyment for the person that receives those benefits. In Ecclesiastes two, verses one and six, or one through two, it says, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom the God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. You have no idea if the person that you're accumulating this stuff and you're going to pass it on to, 
you, you have no idea whether or not they deserve it. Solomon also said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, Yea, I hated all my labor which I have taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. He's thinking about his life and all the stuff. And if you know Solomon, you know that he had a lot of gold and he had a lot of stuff. But look at what he says in verse 19. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? He's talking about the person that is going to have it after he's gone. Remember, you can't take it with you. Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored and wherein I have showed myself wise unto the Son. This is also vanity. No satisfaction in it. No joy. So why are we here? We're here to love God, to love our fellow man. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What's Jesus saying? Our purpose here on this earth is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with everything. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. How many of us do that? How many of us really love God like we should, knowing that He has fashioned our life and that He has made us that we were created to be His workmen? How many of us love the Lord? It's like the parable we talked about in Bible class, the parable of the tenants. Sometimes we forget who we belong to. That it's not about me. Our life here on this earth is about God. And we know that God loved us. And it's something that we need to learn. And we learn it from God. In Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 1 it says, For all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all of this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hands of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. You see, we have two choices. There's two roads that we can travel. One leads to life eternal, the other leads to damnation. And on those roads is love or hatred. One that leads to heaven is going to be we're going to have love for God. Those that lead to hell, there's going to be people on there that say, Yes, I love God. But yet their actions show that they don't love God. Because you see, it's more important not just to say it, but to prove it in our lives. And we prove it by doing what He has instructed us to do. And so we learn to love. We learn that from our Maker, from God. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love Him because He first loved us. You see, you think about Jesus when He came to this earth. What was His purpose to come to this earth? To seek and to save that which was lost. Is that what He did? 
Was he concerned about possessions? Was he concerned about himself? This is all about me? No, he demonstrated that he was a servant. And that we're no better than the Master. That we're no better than Him. And He gave us an example of all of those things. He came about doing His Father's will. That's the whole purpose of Him coming to this earth. What's our purpose? Could you ever doubt that God or Jesus loved His Father? Could you ever doubt that Jesus loved God's people? In fact, over and over and over again, you see where Jesus is pleading with people and even teaching parables to try to convince them that they need to change their life or they're going to be lost. He loved them that much. Even when they wanted to kill Him, He still was concerned about their soul. Why are we here? Well, God put us here for a reason. He put us here to glorify Him. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7, Even everyone that is called by My name, for I have created him for My glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. When we give someone a gift especially if we've made that gift for that individual, we expect them to use that gift in a good way. You know, somebody makes you a blanket. I've made the boys toy boxes, and I expect them to handle those things in the right way. I don't expect them to take it out and drag it across the yard. I don't expect them to do certain things that you know, sometimes they may be tempted to do. I expect them to use it for a toy box. That blanket you're not you, that you know has been made for you and to be on your bed. You wouldn't want to go to their house and see that it's been made into a dog bed. God created us for a purpose. What do you think is His thought when He looks down at us and sees that we're not doing? what He created us for. Not only are we here to glorify Him, we're here to serve Him. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. This is a man who did all the things that he wanted to do. You know, his eyes desired it, he did it. He realized that it was vanity. He realized it was vexation of his soul. And what does he say? After all of that, the whole conclusion of it is to fear God and keep his commandments. You see, Jesus understood that there was work for us to do while we're here on this earth. Because He even tells us that He had to be about His Father's business. 
In John chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, it says, I must work the work of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He realized that his time was limited here on this earth and there was work that he needed to do. Brother, we need to understand that our life is limited also. It's short. It's brief. It's as a vapor. It's as a shadow. It's like a flower that's been cut and picked and now it's going to die. Life is short. There's work that God has given to us that we need to be doing. So what gives meaning to our lives? Contentment. Being happy with what God's blessed us with. There are so many people in this world that are miserable that forget what life is all about. I saw a little clip the other day on the internet. And it was it made an interesting point. They asked the guy, and I'll probably mess it up, but the guy was asking another guy, what would he do for or would he be happy if somebody gave him ten million dollars? And he said, Well, yes. He goes, Well, what would you say if that somebody gave you ten million dollars and they gave it to you today? Would you take it? Well, yeah, I'd take it. Well, what would you say? I would say, thank you. He said, but what if they said, we'll give you the $10 million today, but you're going to die tomorrow if you take it? Would you want it? He said, well, no, I wouldn't want it. He goes, well, then aren't you saying that Tomorrow is worth $10 million to you? And if that's the case, shouldn't you get up every morning with a smile on your face because of what God's done for you? How many of us have that joy? In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24 through 26, there's nothing better for man than that he should eat and drink, than that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. For who can eat and who else can hasten hereunto more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of the Spirit." Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 8 or 6 through 8 But godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment let us therewith be content How many of us are content with the life that God has blessed us with Or are we miserable because of what we don't have Oh I wished I had this and if I had this I would be happy and I would almost guarantee you that if you had that, you still wouldn't be happy. Because that's just the way life is. God's blessed us. Be thankful for what you have. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. It says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, 
both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul tells us that he was content in any situation, in any case, in any environment that he was in. Why? Because he realized what life was really about. It wasn't about him. It was about serving God. We're here to help others. As Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 tells us, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. There's great satisfaction that a person receives when they help others. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. I believe the reason for that is because you can help someone, but you're also blessed to have it to help them with. And you get joy when you see someone that is rejoicing because you've been able to help. And I believe that there's even times when people may not even be thankful that we still need to be willing to help. In Luke chapter 6, verses 37, or 27 through 35, it says, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them that which hate you, and bless them which curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, and, <clears throat> and unto him that smiteth thee, <clears throat> on the one cheek offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take away thy coat also. <clears throat> Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh not or taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye have, or as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank ye have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive a much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and unto the evil. I ask you, how many of us really practice that verse of Scripture. And you see, we're more inclined to help people that we like and people that we love and people that we know. But if they're, if they're not in our club, do we really want to help them? Do we go out of the way to love our enemies and to do good to those that are despitefully using us? Let me ask, do we even pray for those individuals? How many of us pray for them in your private prayer at home? I don't know what you pray. You know what you pray. How many of us pray for those that are our enemies? They may not be thankful. And sometimes we complain when people aren't thankful. Should we be? Should we be? You see, what we do for God is not in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
what we're doing, if it's right, if it's what the Lord's commanded us to do, it doesn't matter whether people say thank you, whether they say attaboy, good job. None of those matter. What matters is, are we doing what God wants us to do? What He put us here on this earth to do? I want to encourage you to leave a legacy. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. You see, we want to live a life where people are pleased to have known us. In Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 7, it says, The memory of the just is blessed, but the names of the wicked shall rot. It's a pretty strong statement. Even those who despise you will still glorify God for your being there. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, having your conversations honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. So even those that despise us can glorify God because of what we've done to help them. People might forget. They may not notice what you do. But God doesn't forget. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. God doesn't forget. He doesn't forget your work or your labor of love. Did you notice that word in there? Of love. Why are you doing what you're doing? Because you love the Lord. You can't love the Lord and be stomping around saying, oh, where's everybody else? How come I'm the only one doing this? That's not a labor of love. You do what you're supposed to do. Because we're all going to answer for what we do. I do. You do. And finally, leave some fruit. John chapter 15 and verse 8, Wherein is My Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be My disciples. And that great commission that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 28, beginning of verse 18, He says, All power is given unto Me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. We have a responsibility to take the gospel to the world. That gospel has the power of, uh, of, uh, is the power of God unto salvation, according to Romans chapter one and verse sixteen. We plant that seed. Someone else may come along and water that seed. You may water that seed yourself when you plant it. But it's God that gives the increase. Don't forget that. It's God. It's His message that has the power to save. Not you, but we're supposed to be taking that message to the people around us as we go out into the world. We share that good news with other people. How much fruit are you going to leave behind? How much are you producing? And by the way, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 says, Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that ye may be blameless and harmless as sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shall shine as lights in the world. 
holding forth the work of the life, word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. What's Paul saying? Don't murmur. Don't complain while you're doing God's work. Be happy that you have the ability, the privilege to do it. And think of the joy that you will have when others join you in your service to God. Think about what it will mean on the day of judgment to see not only your salvation, but to see the salvation of someone else because of something that you did for them, maybe to help or maybe to just teach them the truth. Think of the joy that you'll have on the day of judgment. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19, Paul writes, What is your hope or our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Just think if you're instrumental in helping someone to understand the truth of the Gospel and they end up saved. They end up in heaven. What a joy that will be. What are you doing? How are you living your life? I want to encourage us all to live a life in service to our King. Our King is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the question is, are you serving Him the way you should? Are you fulfilling your purpose in life? Remember, it's not to gather a bunch of stuff. Not to have a bunch of possessions. But it's to serve the Lord. It's to do His will. How many of us are doing that? This morning, if you're not a Christian, Jesus died on the cross so that you could have that hope of heaven, so you could have the forgiveness of sin, so you could have the joy of salvation. And if you're not a Christian today, I want to encourage you to be obedient to that Gospel because Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You can fulfill that promise today by being baptized into Christ if you believe with all your heart. He is the Son of God. You need to confess that before men. And then you need to repent and turn away from sin and be buried with our Lord in baptism. You can do that today. But it's not something that you do and then you just forget about it. You've got to live a faithful life in service to God. Maybe that's your problem. You haven't lived that faithful life and you need our prayers. We're here to help you in any way that we can. But I want to encourage all of us to always serve our King and remember our purpose for being here on this earth. If you need to respond to the invitation, you can do so while we stand and sing.